And it's only appropriate this morning that we uh, preach on what is called in the Christian world uh, the triumphal entry of Christ. And uh, so all throughout the world, the people, Christians, are being put in remembrance of that day when Christ entered Jerusalem on the colt, uh, on the donkey. And uh, so we want to refresh our, we want to be in remembrance of all that God has done for us. In the Gospel of John, chapter number 12, uh, starting at verse number 1, the Bible says that Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, you remember the story, God's word is a story. It paints a picture of the hand of God at work in the lives of people and nations and countries. And your life is a story. God is at work in your life. He's bringing you on a journey through this life. And here we see that Israel at one time was captive in uh, in Egypt. And if you remember the story, we're not going to go into it, but Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. And God raised up Moses to go to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Pharaoh was persistent. He hardened his heart and he would not let the people go. And so God brought on the plagues on Egypt. And one of the plagues was going to be the death of the firstborn, which was a terrible thing. But God told his people that the angel of death would not come over their house if they had prepared a Passover lamb. And when they took the blood of that lamb, and that lamb had to be without spot, without blemish, no broken bones, and they had to uh, take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of their home. And then the Bible says that the angel of death, when God, when he came, he would pass over that house and all that were in that house would be saved, would be spared from the touch of the angel of death. And so Passover was a, a powerful thing that these people knew that God saved them and their house when the angel of death came. He saw the blood of the lamb and he passed over that house and they were saved. And so it was a, a thing that they remembered. It was a terrible day when they heard the cries of others dying and being lost, but yet their house was saved. And so Jesus was coming into Jerusalem at the time when they were celebrating the remembrance of the Passover, the remembrance of how God saved them in the land of uh, Egypt. And so Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Now, at this time, Jesus had done many, many miracles in the past. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead who is now with him here. And God had opened blind eyes. He'd made deaf to hear. These are good things. Would you say that uh, if you were blind and Jesus opened your eyes, would you say that that's a good thing? It was a good thing. You know, even when you look in the mirror, it would still be a good thing, right, that you are able to see. 
You know, we look in the mirror sometimes like I do in the morning and it's like a little, whoa. You know, but I'm thankful that God has given me life. You know, so it's a good thing that I can see. And, uh, even, you know, and, uh, so Jesus did all manner of good things, but the religious people, the scribes, the chief priests and the scribes, they did not like Jesus. In fact, they hated Jesus because he was a threat to their established religion, their established rule over the people. They were an oppressive rule. They were putting weights and burdens on the people that the Lord never intended. And so that they saw Jesus, that of Jesus, and the, it's the, they even says, the scribes and Pharisees, that the world was starting to follow after Jesus, and so they had to do something. They plotted to kill Jesus. They set out a plot to kill him. And so if you went into chapter 11, which we're not going to do, it tells you that the people were starting to wonder, will Jesus show up at the Passover? Because the plot is out that they want to kill him. And so they were question mark, will Jesus show up or not? And, you know, I'm sure there were unscrupulous people taking wagers on the thing, you know. But Jesus did show up. Because he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And the time was appointed. So Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus read. In verse 2, so they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Wouldn't you like to hang out with Jesus? I mean, here's Lazarus. Think about it. Lazarus is there in the lounge chair hanging out with Jesus. Martha's in there cooking up a, a storm. You know, you can tell that aroma's going through the house. And, you know, maybe she was making meatballs, Lou. I don't know. But, you know, and, and La- but they were hanging out. It says Martha was cooking. You know, she was a good cook, too. Jesus went there often. And so, you know, and so Lazarus was there. Some people like to hang out with Jesus. But we need to do more than hang out with Jesus. We need to have that relationship and know who he really is in our lives. And so verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus. And she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So you can you can think the fragrance of the perfume, the food cooking, you know, Lazarus over there talking with Jesus, and that was a good it was a good fellowship that was taking place in there. But Judas Iscariot, verse four, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, there's always somebody, no matter how much good you do. Now Jesus was he was there with Lazarus and Mary, and he he's done nothing but good. Jesus wasn't going around like Jesse James robbing the local banks. He was he was imparting blessing to people. He was providing for the needs of people when they were out there and they had nothing to eat. He multiplied the loaves and the breads. Jesus never took from the people. He always gave and imparted to the people health and healing and provision. So there was nothing you can hold against Jesus yet. There was something. See, no matter how much good you do in life, somebody's always going to hate you. You cannot do enough good to please everybody. You can be the best person in the neighborhood, in your job, and there's always somebody going to hate you because maybe you're you're just too good for them. And they just hate goodness. They hate to see people being done good to. And so there's always someone. 
you know, no matter, as a pastor, you can never please all the people. As a boss, you can never please all the people. Uh, There's always something someone will try to find to bring you down. And here, Judas Iscariot was intending, he had it in his heart to betray Jesus, just like the chief priests and the scribes. And he says, you know, why wasn't this perfume sold and, and the money? Because he was in charge of the money. And he was putting every little bit in his pocket every here and there. So he didn't want to see that. So it says in verse number 7, but Jesus says, he says, leave her alone. He says, because for the poor you will always have with me. Anyway, he just says in verse 9, the great multitude, therefore the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they, they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. The Jesus was coming now into Jerusalem for the Passover. But just before he's getting into the, getting in ready to make his entrance, he, he stops off at Lazarus's house, you know, has some fellowship with them, and he, yeah, he knows there's a plot out there that they want to do him in. But Jesus isn't afraid of the people. Jesus's mind is set on the things of God, on the Word of God, on fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture in the Word of God. And here it says, some people heard that Jesus was there, and so they came. And they came, not only it says to see Jesus, but it says they came because they wanted to see Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. It's easy sometimes to take our focus off of Jesus and put it on someone or something else. See, Jesus worked a miracle on Lazarus. Lazarus was lounging out with Jesus because a little while back he was wrapped up with, with those uh, mummy clothes or whatever you want to call them, and he was stinking in a tomb. And the God, Jesus, rolled a tomb stone away and said, Lazarus, come forth. You remember that? And he came forth. So Lazarus knew what Jesus did, a miracle in his life. So now Lazarus is hanging out with Jesus. This guy raised me from the dead. Has Jesus raised you from the dead? Did, did Jesus take the bondages or the stink of death off of your life? Yes, he did. We are Lazaruses, in a sense. And because Jesus saved us, he took us from death to life. And just like he did to Lazarus, Lazarus is now, he's right at the side of Jesus. And that's where we need to be, with the side of Jesus. Now, what happened here, the people were coming to see Lazarus. Now, who would you rather come? If Jesus was in the room, if I was here with Jesus... Who would you rather come and talk to, Jesus or me? Come on, be honest. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, I know you want to talk to me, but I mean, if Jesus was here, you would want to come and talk to him. He's the one who saved me. I'm not, I'm the miracle, but he's the miracle worker. He's the one who did the miracle. So why do you want to talk to me? All I can tell you is, hey, talk to him. He's the one who saved me and raised me from the dead. So I could tell you, you know, I feel great. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be alive and to be eating and fellowshipping. But he's the Lord. He is uh, the one you need to talk to. So people always lose their focus. And they put it on the wrong thing. Instead of putting it on the miracle worker, they try to put it on the person who, who Lord, the Lord touched. And so our focus has to be on the Lord, not on anyone else, although we need to love and touch one another. We need to love and touch on one another, but we have to keep the focus on who is central here. It is Jesus. He's the Lord. And it says the chief priests took counsel 
that they might put Lazarus to death also. Can you imagine this? Religious leaders, religious leaders saying Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. People are following after Jesus. He's a threat. we got to kill him. Not only him, but Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. we got to kill him again. He, you know, we got to put him back into the grave. That's what it says. The chief priest wanted to kill Lazarus again because he was he was a witness to Jesus. When you're a witness to Jesus, the people don't like you, and they want to put you to death along with Jesus. Get Jesus and you out of the picture. And so you got to see that here the plot was not only for Jesus, but those who were witnesses of his wonder-working power. Are you a witness of his wonder-working power? Every one of us here is a testimony to the Lord our God, and we need to fellowship and not fear. And it says, uh, on the next day, verse 12, the great multitude who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees. They took the branches of the palm trees. And it says, and went out to meet him and began to cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even even the king of Israel. Now, there's a reason. As we see, you know, we can just go over the palm branches. And there's a reason that God puts everything in the word of God. God is a God of detail, and he's a God of order. He's a God who's a... We have a lot to learn. You know, we were talking at our at our home Bible study that our brain, it is a known known thing as far as science and medical realm can determine, that only 10% of our brain is in use. The other 90% is non-functioning. That's a truth. It's not, it's not, it's a truth. You can look it up, go on the internet, look it up. 10% of your brain functions. The other 90%, we don't know what it's doing. It's in limbo somewhere. You know, and but because we were talking about the creation of Adam and Eve, when Adam, when God first created Adam, before the fall, he had full functional capacity of his brain, we would assume. How else could he know how to name every animal? How could he spell it? How did, where did that knowledge come from? Webster wasn't alive yet. He couldn't go to the unabridged dictionary. He couldn't, he couldn't surf the internet to, to see. He didn't, you know, so how did he know? So, the Bible says that only 10%. Why am I saying that? Because uh, anyway, why was I saying that? Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> See, I'm only operating on 10% of my brain now. So you got to have mercy and compassion on me and, and here too, right? So the people were crying Hosanna to, to, to the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as they were preparing uh, things. The palm branch is a symbol of joy and triumph throughout the word of God. It symbolizes joy and triumph. And the Christian realm, even the, the world of those, that, even the non-Christian world, they took palm and it became an emblem, emblem of victory, not only to the Christians, but even to non-Christians, those in the, living in the world of those days and beyond. The palm signified victory, triumph, kings, and, and all, they used palm as a celebrant for victory. It, it meant great, great superiority and victory in there. Now, it's very interesting that they were shouting. They, they took the palm trees and they were shouting, Hosanna. 
Now, it's very interesting. I want you to understand this. The word Hosanna is found only in the New Testament, and there's only a few instances, five instances in the New Testament. What it means is, God, save us now. It's a combination. From the Old Testament, you can't find Hosanna in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's the words are Lord, God, and there's a multitude of words for God. And there's the words save now, save us, Savior. And the New Testament puts them together, God save us now. And that word is Hosanna. Hosanna means God save us now. Our salvation. You are now our salvation. God, you are now my salvation. Hosanna. God is my Savior. God is my salvation. That is what the word Hosanna means. You cannot see it in the Old Testament, although it's there. In Psalm 118, the whole thing talks about it. And if you turn with me to Psalm 118, verse number 26, I just want to show you something before we move on here. Psalm one number, Psalm 118. Verse number 26, the word says here, uh, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And what were they shouting? The Bible in verse 24 of that same chapter of Psalms, it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And he goes on to say that blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So this day, when Jesus was going into Jerusalem, it was the day that the Lord hath made. And we need to rejoice and be glad in it. And they had known, see, they knew the Old Testament scriptures concerning the entrance of the Messiah into the promise, into the Jerusalem. And they were, they were shouting, Hosanna, God save us now. Now, I want to take you on a, a, a little back here. The first mention of palm trees in the Bible, or palm. It's always good when you're doing a study, when you're looking at the Word of God, to find out where were things, certain things, first mentioned in the Bible. And in here, if you go with me to Exodus, to the book of Exodus, and it's always good to bring your Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter number 15, and we want to see the first mention in the Bible of palm trees. Now, we want to look at verse number... Uh, well, first, let me just tell you this. Here, Israel, again, they were coming out from Egypt. Pharaoh let them go temporarily, remember? And then Pharaoh said, hey, what am I doing here? And they were they were going down by the Red Sea, remember? And then Pharaoh, he changed his mind. He got a, he got a change of heart, and he got his army and everybody, and he started to pursue the Israelites, remember? And they were at the Red Sea, and then Mo, they didn't know what to do, and Moses, he, you know, he... God told him to stretch forth his rod, and the sea parted, and they went through. And then what happened? Pharaoh tried to pursue him, right? Pharaoh, with all his thoroughbreds and all his fine horses and chariots and his army, they started to go through the Red Sea. And the Bible says that God closed the waters on them. And the Bible says the horse and rider, Miriam, made a song. And she was out there with a tambourine, and she was singing. You know, God has uh, saved us, uh, you know, uh, Gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And that's what this chapter is. It's a chapter saying that God is a, we rejoice in God because he has thrown the horse and rider into the sea. And then he leads them on into the wilderness and they go for a period without water and the people start complaining. 
They forgot that the horse and rider got thrown into the sea, and they're walking along, and they're starting to grumble and mumble, and they come to a place, uh, the first they were thirsty, then they come to a place of, called Marah, where the water was bitter, and they start mumbling again to Moses. What are you doing bringing us all the way here to bitter waters? People, it's hard to satisfy people. It's hard to get people to, you know, to come to a point of saying, hey, we are blessed. We are, we are in a good place here. And so they were complaining at Marah, and then God told, told them to, Moses, get the stick, put it in the water, and the bitter waters will become sweet. And he did. And then God, in verse number, uh, uh, where am I here? 1527, he says, uh, and you will give, uh, earnest heed to the voice and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments, keep all the statutes, and he says, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Now, we're building up here. I just wanted you to see something as we're going into the, the entry into Jerusalem. See, God told him after the bitter waters, stop complaining. Trust me. Follow me. Walk in my ways according to my word, and I will lead you to a good place. My plans and purposes are good, not of evil. Don't have to worry. Well, I'm going to bring you to a place of plenty and of goodness. And so he tells them, stop. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Trust God. Have faith in me. And he says, and he named uh, verse number uh, 27. Then they came after this. It says, then they came to Elam where there were, I want you to listen to this. The word of God is specific. God has a reason and a purpose. And, and when you catch on to these things, it makes your eyes open. It says, then he came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms or palm trees, and they camped there beside the waters. Now here, God brings them. The first mention is of palm trees is when God tells them, obey me, trust me. Follow me. I'll lead you to a good place. He brings them to where there's 12 springs of water. How many tribes of Israel were there? 12. How many, uh, there were 70 palm trees. How many elders were in the tribes all total of Israel? 70. It's interesting why God, why does God say there'll be 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees? God is going to provide. He is the Lord your shepherd. He's going to provide for everyone. Every family, every tribe, every every uh, elder, every man, you're the head of the home. God is going to provide for you and your family and your household. He will. And so you see, he brings them to a place where they have 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. It's interesting. That's the first place in the Bible where it speaks of palm trees, a place of provision where God brings you to a place where he provides for your shelter and he provides for your drink. Are you thirsty for the Lord? He's going to bring you to a good place. You need to think it. This goes deeper. You can preach on this more. But that's I just wanted to bring that out. That's the first mention in the Bible. When we, If we look into the book of Leviticus, and I'm just going to read this to you, it talks about palm trees being God, see, when God brought them out and he brought them into the promised land, he, he start, well, he started to establish, well, he, from the beginning, God started to establish feasts and he told them how to celebrate. You know, God is a party maker. You know, you want to go to a party store? 
You go and you talk to God. God is the one who started parties. And Moses didn't go and say, hey, Lord, I got a good idea. We can have a good feast. Here's how we should do it. No, God said, hey, Moses, I got a good idea. We're going to have a feast, and this is how we're going to do it. So God went to Moses and told him how to celebrate him, his, his, his provision for them. And in the feast, he, one of the things he says in Leviticus 23:40, if you wanted to write it down, you could check it later. And ye shall take you on the first day of the fruit of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before Jehovah your God for seven days. Part of the celebration was palm trees. And it's speaking of God's provision and God's shelter. And he, they're waving it. And he said, for seven days you're going to praise me. It was a public praise. God wants to be praised publicly, not only privately, but in a festive gathering. God wants a, the palms to be, to be waved. Again, it's a sign of, of you watching over. Shelter. You're my shelter. You're my provision. You're all that I need. And they're waving the palms. And, uh, he goes on to say, it's praise with thanksgiving because God is our provider. So we see that God told them, trust me. And he leads them to a, to palm trees. And he says in the feast, the palm trees are going to be, wa- uh, palm branches are going to be waved. When Solomon, this is very interesting, when Solomon built that temple, which was glorious, you know, again, God is the one who gives us these things. Uh, Palm is a constant reminder to praise God. First Kings chapter 6, it says that he carved all the walls of the house of God round about with carved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers within and without. You're going to see, as you look into the word of God, two things come together frequently and they're in the house of God. You see, we look around here, and this is nothing compared to the temple Solomon built. There was everything had had symbolism, spoke. God doesn't do anything without having something speak about him, who he is and what he does. If you ever done a study in the tabernacle of Moses, everything speaks of something. And here in the temple of Solomon, it says that there were cherub and palm trees together. Cherub are always the ones who are praising God. They were over the ark. They were facing each other. And it says they were crying, holy, holy, holy. And it says God inhabits the praises of his people. So cherubim are praisers. They're those set to continually praise God. And what's set beside them? Palm. Palm speaking of praise. Continual praise to God. It's an acknowledgement. Why does God set cherubim and palm trees together? And in Second Chronicles, speaking of Solomon's temple, it says, in the greater house he sealed with fur, which he overlaid with fine gold, and wrought thereon palm trees and chains. And we also see that there was wood, gold, palm trees, and chains. Let me just suggest something to you here. When you look at the tabernacle of Moses, wood spoke of man. The gold spoke of deity. You see wood, gold, and you see palm, praise. And when you have man and God, and man is praising God, there's a chain that bonds you, that cannot be broken. It's a, it, it's a lock that when man and God and praise are together, there's a chain that cannot be broken. Why does he have wood, gold, palm, and chains together? Again, you have to understand, God doesn't 
just do things for no reason or because it looks good or seems good. It speaks of something. And so God wants to chain or lock together God himself and man with praise. Your praise is like a chain that bonds you with God. You can't get out of it. God doesn't want us to get out of those bonds of praise. And so it's continually with us. In Ezekiel's temple, and this is where Ezekiel had a vision. God gave him a vision of a future temple to be, of the restored temple, the temple to, to, where the return, God would return, the glory of God would return. And uh, I want you to just listen to this. In Ezekiel chapter 41, you can write it down. And it was made, the temple that he saw in his vision that God gave him, it says, and it was made with cherubim and palm trees. And a palm tree was between cherub and cherub, and every cherub had two faces. Now, I want you to understand that this is a vision God has given to Ezekiel. There's a cherub who is an angel who shouts, holy, holy, they praise God. Then there's a palm tree. Then there's a cherub. Then there's a palm tree. Then there's a cherub. And so there was a cherub and a palm tree, a cherub and a palm tree. And you can't separate the palm tree from praise. It's speaking of us giving praise to God. We have to take up the praises. We can't just leave it to the cherub to praise God. The Bible says we need to, to praise them. And it says, and the cherub had two faces. Interesting. In the vision that God gave Ezekiel in the house. So that there was the face of a man toward the palm tree, a cherub, facing the, the palm tree. And it says, and the one side was the face of a man. Face of a man. And it says on the other side was the face of a young lion. So the cherub, one cherub was facing this way, and one cherub was facing this way, and they were facing the palms, and one was a man, and who was the who was the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. And facing the palm trees. And when God inhabits the praises of his people, and if we take up there, the palm, and we're, we're praising God, the cherub are looking, and they're praising, and between the, between the praises, God inhabits the praise. God is there. And when Jesus is looking at us, and we're taking up the praise and praising Jesus, he's there. You see, the, the, there's symbolism. There's, there's, there's something that's speaking to us here as we look at the Word of God, and we see cherub and palm, cherub and palm, and, and we see it throughout the Word of God how, it, how it's there. Cherubim never cease, and we can never cease to praise God, and we need to do it. But the chief priests were saying, when they were waving the palms, as Jesus was coming, this isn't even in the temple, the children were crying out, and they were praising God and waving, and the chief priests, they said, shut up, stop that. You see what they're doing? They're shouting, Hosanna, they're shouting. And Jesus said, if they were to cease praising me, I would make the stones, as my wife said, I would make the rocks and the stones cry out and praise me. Because praise will never cease from the Lord. You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, people had different ideas of what he was coming to do. And they were they were praising because they knew from the Old Testament, from Zechariah, it says that your king will come humbly riding on the colt, on a donkey. And it says that, as he come, as they saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, 
they began to know he's working miracles. He's, he's claimed that he's the Messiah. And here he is now coming into Jerusalem. Surely he's going to overturn the rule and the reign of the Pharisees and he's going to reign on earth because the Bible says that someday Jesus will come and be ruler of, of heaven and earth. And they thought, the people thought, that he was coming now to set up his rule, that he was going to sit on an earthly throne and rule and reign. And so they were, they were shouting, rightly so, they were shouting, Hosanna, that king, the king is here. And that was true to a certain degree. It was true. He was the king. He was coming to save them, but not as they thought. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees seen him coming and they saw him as a threat, that if he was going to sit on a throne, that means they were out of a job. They were out of the picture. And so they wanted to kill him and stop him before. But Jesus, before he entered Jerusalem, before he came on to that donkey, it says he was sitting out looking over the city of Jerusalem and he was weeping. He was crying for the people because he knew that he was going in as a Lord and Savior to save them but they would reject him and curse him and that they would lose. The, the Bible says that, that you know, your day of visitation, you're missing your day of visitation. And so Jesus was visiting them as a savior, but they were looking to him as a threat. And they wanted, some of them wanted to kill him and others wanted him to kill the Pharisees. And the Pharisees wanted to kill him so they could rule over the people. And Jesus was coming to be a savior and the Lord to, to rule spiritually, because Jesus knew that he was coming to lay down his life. You know, in a palm tree, when you study what a palm tree is made out, it has an elastic-like thing. You can bend a palm tree or a palm down, and you can press it, but when you let it go, it, it just like springs back. It just comes back to its correct position. You see, and Jesus came from heaven to earth. As the song says, from heaven to earth. He was riding into Jerusalem on, on that cult to be, to be pressed down, to be broken and crushed for us. But the Bible says that he would rise again on the third day and he would ascend into heaven to take what? His correct or rightful position again. You see, Jesus couldn't be broken or crushed. And palms is the praise that Jesus could not be broken. As Jesus gave his life, but he rose again. And he went back to his original correct position as Lord and as Savior. The devil couldn't keep him in the grave. The, you know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees couldn't do away with all that he had set to do. To, to be salvation for the people. And how about us? Palm is a, is speaking of us. When we're pressed down in life, when we come to situations and circumstances in our life that bend us, that make us, we have to know that Christ in us, we are able to rebound and to, to continue on that upward growth. God wants us to look upward, keep our focus upward with Him. He is a, coming king. He is our Lord and our Savior. So palm is a reminder that although Christ came and he was pressed and broken, yet he ascended to his rightful position. And we as believers, we can be pressed in this life, pressed hard, but it cannot break us. You know, uh, uh, it will, the, we will not be broken. God will keep us in that. 
And uh, so we see that Jesus came to do uh, a great and a wonderful thing as he wrote in. And uh, in the New Testament, there are only two verses in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of verses with palm and palm trees. And we've seen it as God's place of provision. We've seen it as God has set it in his temple between the cherubim that it speaks of praise, that God wanted to use it in the feast, that it spoke, uh, again, of celebration, of God being our provider, and all is here. So when we see people raising, taking the palm and raising it and laying it down, it's not an insignificant thing. It's not just a piece of something. It's speaking of us taking up the praises of God, trusting in God, and acknowledging Him as our Savior and as our Lord and as our provider. It speaks multitudes. It speaks volumes when we take hold of palm. And it's only found in two places in the New Testament. Here in John where we were, the Gospel of John. And go back with me to that. We're going to look at one more verse. The Gospel of John, chapter number 12. Again in verse number 13. They took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. And began to cry out, Hosanna, blessed that, Hosanna means what? God save us now, you are our salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And I want to show you one more place in the New Testament where it's, well, it's found in the Gospels where they give that account. And there's only one more place in the New Testament where you will find any mention of palm or palm trees. And I want you to go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter number 7, verse number 9. You see, Palm spoke of praise and celebration in the Old Testament. It carried over into the New Testament where Jesus was praised and, and, and celebrated. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter number 7, uh, verse number uh, 9, After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches. Palm branches were in their hands. They were, that's a, that was a symbol and a significant saying, Lord, you are the glory and the lifter of my head, my savior. You are my provider. You are the Lord, my God. And it says here that they were clothed with robes and palm branches and they cried out with a loud voice, a loud voice. When God, when you realize what God has done for you, that he saved you, redeemed you, it says here that they were clothed in, in, uh, in uh they were they were standing clothed with white robes when you understand that god has washed away every sin of your life and giving you garments of righteousness that in Christ you are the righteousness of God. That you are the justified just as if I had never sinned. You are the justified of God. Then there's a reason to rejoice and get happy. And that's why Christians should not be quiet or wimpy in praise. We need to at times let the volume turn up. You ever hear these guys in cars going around with the boom boxes? They're not ashamed to raise the volume. And we at times, I'm, I'm not saying all the time, but there's times when we've got to raise the volume of our praise to God. Because when you get to heaven, you can't go and tell them, hey, could you lower it down here, please? 
You know, it's not going to work. You can't do that in heaven. In heaven, there's going to be loud, thunderous shouts of praise in heaven because of who the Lamb is. And here it says they had palm branches in their hands. This is you're talking about in before the throne of God. So this isn't only for the earth. When we get up in heaven before the throne, guess what? You're going to see this stuff again. Maybe not exactly like it is, but you're going to see palm, and guess what? You're going to see that we're going to be waving these things, saying, Hallelujah, Hosanna, praise the Lord. And you know, it, it, it's, it's a, again, it speaks volumes, and it says, and they cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In verse 11, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever. And he wanted to know who they were, and they were the ones who uh, had been redeemed from from the uh, from the from the death from from all the tribulations of the earth. And so you see that here, as Jesus was entering Jerusalem, they were shouting Hosanna with palms. They knew that he was a king, but they misunderstood that Jesus had to first go to Calvary's cross, but they rightly acknowledged him as king, as savior, and as lord. They couldn't understand then why he had to go and be crucified, but they knew that he was a miracle worker, and he fulfillment of scripture. He rode on a donkey in Jerusalem, and they were ready. They were shouting, Hosanna! You are our Savior! Save us now, Lord! And he went to Calvary's cross and it seemed, it seemed as though his mission failed. But his mission didn't fail. His mission succeeded. He redeemed us from sin and from death. And he rose on the third day. And now when we get to heaven, we're going to take our palm branches again and say, Lord, you are my Savior. Thank you for that day you rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Thank you that that day you bore my sin. Not that day, but thank you that you went to bear my sin upon Calvary's cross. And so they had a rightful expectation. They joyously celebrated him. And the Bible says that, you know, we need to be looking up in the in book of Hebrews because Christ shall appear a second time, and we shall be with him. And when we get caught up into heaven, we're going to take hold of palm branches, and it's going to be a new Palm Sunday because, you know, hallelujah. That's the, the day the Lord is risen Savior. He's our mighty God. So palm is significant. Palm is significant. Sometimes we go through Palm Sunday, and, and we and we have no idea of why the Bible uses palm. In, in its in its references to those occasions, it speaks of praise. It speaks of our praise to God, our acknowledgement, our trust in our Savior. This symbolizes it. Cherub, cherub and palm, cherub and palm. And it says that we, the vessels, the those of us who have been redeemed, we're going to stand with palms, and this is a symbol that's going to speak volumes that God is our Savior and our provider, and we trust Him. He's our shepherd. He will lead us. He's our deliverer. He's our mighty God. This isn't just nothing. 
This is very symbolic. It is very meaningful to God. It's very remindful to us. We are praisers of God. We have much to praise God for. And so, yes, they laid it down before Jesus that they're not understanding what he was going to face, but they had the right idea. He was the king, and he is worthy to be praised. Save us. Hosanna. Save us now. We are saved. And so we go beyond what they did. He is our Savior. So when you look at Palm, remember, it speaks volumes about praise, us praising God with a loud voice. There's nowhere in the Palm where it says Palms and it was a low, quiet, you know, murmuring. It says that they cried with a loud voice, Hosanna to God in the highest. And what I want to do right now as we close this morning, I want to, honey, would, uh, Mark, would you help me here? And uh, let me see, uh, Mike, would you give me a hand and just break some of that palm off and give it to, so that everyone has some palm here. And Mike, you can help just uh, give everyone some of that palm. And then we're going to, we're going to stand and we're going to wave these and we're going to praise God. Hallelujah. As we close this morning's service. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you learn something about palm this morning? Did, did, was, was, you get an understanding no, it's not easy. You gotta be strong in the Lord to, to break that stuff off. My goodness. Hallelujah. <laughs> the Lord is my strength and my soul. Hallelujah. And can we all, uh, can we all stand this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we all have our palm branches. Just like they were standing around the throne of God. Amen. And they were shouting, salvation be unto our God who has redeemed us. And bought us and purchased us with a wonderful price. He's my provider. The member, when he brought them, remember when he brought them to the twelve wells and the seventy palm trees, he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. None of the diseases that I put on Egypt will I put on you. We have a reason. He is the Lord, our healer. He is our provider. He is our savior. He is our God. So as we close, just wave your palm branches, not to me, but to God. Wave your palm branches and bless him and say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, you are the Lord, our healer, our God, our redeemer, our savior. You are our salvation. You are the glory and the lifter of our head. Oh, glory, glory, glory to the Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, people. Just give him some praise with your voice. Wave that palm and and just uh, let your voice declare that he is your savior. He is your God. He is your healer. He is your provider. He is the glory, the lifter of your head. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless you, Father. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Glory to your wonderful name, Jesus, exalted one, Savior, Lord of lords and King of kings, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of peace, uh, blessed is your name, blessed is your name, hallelujah, you are Jehovah Rapha, you are Jehovah Nisi, you are Jehovah Jireh, oh, glory to your Lord, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Growing up, I thought palms was just to go home and make a cross and, you know, put it somewhere and just uh, that was it. I went to church, I did my thing, I got my palm, I got my little cross, I put it in my car, and I didn't know the significance of what palm stood for and that we are to praise the Lord our God. But hallelujah, now we know. Now we have a little better understanding of things. Amen? Amen. So bless you. And you can still, listen, you can still go make a cross out of it. You could, I'm not saying you can't. You can do what you want with it. But when you look at it, remember, it speaks of praise. It symbolizes praise. Amen?